We continue worshiping God as uh, we hear the good news of the gospel in Matthew chapter 11 today, beginning in the second verse. And I invite you, as you're able, to stand for the reading. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is He of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. We were on Interstate 90 heading west. We were traveling first, had come down from the north of North Dakota, my buddy and I from college, and uh, we were making our way not with a GPS, but with a map that only engineers could fold, right? (laughs) And as we traveled west on Interstate 90, we were making our way until we would get to our turnoff to go farther south to go uh, on to Mount Rushmore. Well, on the way, my buddy and I, who had uh, attended college together, we uh, were reminiscing. In fact, we were thinking about how just many, many miles farther west on Interstate 90 uh, was the college that we attended out near Seattle. And so we were having fun and uh, reminiscing and uh, making this road trip together. Pretty soon, we began to notice that the road signs looked uh, a little different. Their hue, the color had changed. And then we realized that we were some 30 or 40 miles into Wyoming. We had been so distracted, you know, and once we realized we were in the wrong place, we turned around. First we had to realize that, though. And... It's not unlike what we've been learning from John the Baptist to repent, to turn around, 
We ended up in the wrong location. Sometimes we miss our turn. We miss where we need to be or need to go for all kinds of reasons. We're going to look at three of them today. Sometimes we miss it because we are, like I was, distracted. We're occupied by a great many things, many of them good. Busyness. Fun. Work. Sometimes we're occupied by the difficult things of this world and our hearts grieve. Sometimes we miss it because we just don't like it. We just don't want to go there. John the Baptist understood this well. He was in prison at the time of this testimony that we heard read today for preaching about God's truth on marriage. Sometimes we miss it because we just simply have trouble believing. So whether it's because we're distracted or because we disagree or because of our doubt or disbelief, we sometimes miss where we're going. Let's take a look at these and ask what the Word has to say to us about them today. First, let's talk about distractions, detours, maybe even disappointments. I mean, whether you watch the Hallmark Channel or Netflix, you're going to have movies galore during this season to tell you that you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's another sermon, but pretty good chance that those same movies that I enjoy too are not telling us to focus on the right thing anyway. John the Baptist asks an important question. A piercing question in many ways. He asks Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another? Has the train come or... And I've missed it, or shall we wait for the next one? Now, much has been made of John's question to Jesus. Was he doubting? I don't think so. He had a a different thought in mind as we begin to understand the context of this text. You see, as one uh, pastor put it, I love the way he said it. He said, in this really technical way, he said, John wanted to know when the Messiah stuff was going to start happening, right? When is this Messiah stuff going to take place? He didn't want to miss it. The season of Advent reminds us to not miss it, that Christ has come, and that Christ, don't miss, that He will come again. And He brings His love to us. And he wants us not to miss it. There's a good example of that. When we baptize children, we say a prayer for their parents in our liturgy. We pray that they too would grow in their faith that, so that, if you're listening carefully to that prayer, so that one day they may be reunited together in eternity. So this baptism is a life and death 
kind of significance of being reunited again with Christ, with those we love forever. But as parents, we have a a long to-do list. You know this, whether you're a parent or you've been a child of a parent. We care for us and we care for them physically and their physical well-being. Or concerned and we spend time on their mental well-being. Or we invest in their intellect and education. It's really easy when we go down the list of those uh, important and significant but immediate needs to spend less time on occasion on their spiritual needs. And yet the significance of being reunited with them has eternal impact, doesn't it? And so we're reminded in this text today, once again, to pay attention to that which is most important. And Jesus does that for us by giving a word to John the Baptist. The question for us today, are we taking time to listen? What are we paying attention to? Sometimes we miss out simply because we just don't like it, right? Continuing on the same thought about parents, we've had parents tell us no, and we do not like it, right? But we know that saying no to our children is an act, oftentimes, of love and care. So we shouldn't be surprised then that we sometimes, when coming to God's holy word, disagree. Or maybe not even like it. We shouldn't be surprised that we think, well, I wish he hadn't have said that. Because he is God and we are not. And so, of course, it actually becomes a testimony to the truth of God's word and the truth of who God is. That what we find in the Bible isn't just all that we want in there. Shouldn't be surprised at all. And John understood this. As I mentioned, he was in prison for preaching that word to Herod. And Herod didn't like the truth of of God's word about marriage any more than some do today. But he preaches it out of love. But really all the weight in this text comes, as one scholar put it, and we should not be surprised either, onto Jesus' words. He quotes portions of Isaiah 35 that we heard read today and Isaiah 61. But it may surprise you that he doesn't quote them uh, precisely. He interweaves them together to let us know, to evoke for us this end time blessing, this compassionate ministry of Jesus that it is true that the Messiah has come. And he does that using a a practice that was known there in the first century. You see, it was well known that when you copy down a Hebrew scroll, that they would copy it down very carefully, letter for letter. And if even one dash was mistaken, they would throw that whole scroll out and start over. 
But let's know that when that scroll is read in the synagogue in the first century, not only was it read in Hebrew, it was also read in the language of the people. Many folks at that time in the first century spoke Aramaic. And so the scroll then would be translated uh, in what is called a targum, translation of uh, the Hebrew scripture into Aramaic. And this translation was really less of a translation and more of a paraphrase, maybe even a sermon, if you will, an explanation of the text that you just heard. Jesus does that as he quotes portions of Isaiah. And what's interesting is, maybe even John the Baptist didn't like the fact that he didn't continue quoting uh, Isaiah 61, where it would go on to say, and he leaves off, uh, remember John the Baptist is in prison, that uh, there would be liberty for the captives. He didn't quote that. But certainly he will imply it and show that that will come. You see, but the real way that he does that is in a build-up that maybe some didn't expect. The big build-up in this passage as you continue to read it, the final climax of that which is important that John needs to hear from Jesus is what? The greatest miracle that he reports on is that the poor would be preached to. The poor would hear the gospel. The poor, of course, being those without resource or finances, but also, as we heard just a few chapters before in the Beatitudes in chapters 5 through 7, that's going to also include the poor in spirit. The big deal is that the gospel is preached to all who need it and to receive it. Then we get to verse 6. I want to focus in here on that. For as one scholar asks, what does it mean that God is opening up a new age through Jesus here? And he does it with yet another beatitude. He gives us another beatitude. Blessed is anyone who does not, in the translation we heard today, is not offended by me, or another translation says, who does not stumble over me. It's because we don't like it. The gospel, as Jesus shaped it and gives it, is a gift. And so he invites us to take it as he gives it. It's not a message of woe, this beatitude. It's a message of hope and of gift and of love. Finally, we sometimes uh, miss out simply because we have doubt or disbelief. In this section of the text in Matthew 11, we really see two things going on. Who is Jesus? And then who is John the Baptist? But what we find out is that by being introduced to who John is, we just in that reality become to understand who Jesus really is. And as he says, for those who can receive it, is John is Elijah. And for those who have disbelief, it's encouraging to know that prophecies are being fulfilled. Mathematically speaking, some have run the numbers. It's 
nearly impossible for anyone else besides Jesus to have fulfilled the prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament of the Old, like Jesus does. But more than that, he gives us witnesses. Even those, as I mentioned last week, like Josephus, who writes about John the Baptist, who writes about the, uh, those who would let others know that Jesus were performing these miracles, some of which Jesus outlines to John in this text. Now, Josephus wasn't a believer. It's not that he even believed it, but he was a f- historian that reported right there in the first century of that which was going on. We have details that can be verified of folks who lived in that age, like we'll confess in the creed later, Pontius Pilate. And as this text has been challenged and and scrutinized and reviewed through the centuries, we continue to see new evidence and reassurance that the word that we have received is true. Now, faith comes by the power of the Holy Spirit to be certain. But God is gracious as He was here in this text to John the Baptist's question, as He was to Thomas when Thomas had questions. And He is gracious to us to let us use our minds and see the evidence and the truth of His Word. So the kingdom of heaven is for all those, as Jesus said, who have ears to hear. And in this Advent blessing, he reminds us, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me, who doesn't pass by and not turn around. We have an Emmanuel, a God with us, who has come. And here's the good news. He welcomes those of us who are distracted and miss the mark. And he calls us back again and he invites us to wave and welcome others to come. We have an Emmanuel, God with us, who brings the gospel to all, including the poor, the poor in spirit. To those who disagree, he has the Holy Spirit at work. As we heard last week, working in power and fire and converting hearts and inviting us to be participants in that and making disciples until he comes again. And Emmanuel, God with us, answers the question of those who have doubts. He'll even say to Thomas, see my hands and feet and the wounds. And he calls us, you and I, like he did on the road to Emmaus with those who wondered what the truth was to walk alongside others and lead them to the truth as well. So when you end up at the wrong destination like I did, remember to turn around. Turn around and receive this gift of this beatitude to be blessed, to not be offended or stumble, but to receive the gift that He has come to bring and that He will come back again. And so let us all heed this call from Jesus. Let him who have ears, let him hear. And let us share it. Amen.